Hello, and welcome to another Profiles of Endurance. I'm Father Scott Vanderveer. So often, when we see someone in public, even if we know them fairly well, we have to acknowledge that we have no idea the burdens that they are actually carrying. Those who know Cheryl Sheridan from a distance might know her as an active and vibrant young retiree. They may know her as the teacher of exercise classes for other women that happen in our community. They may know her as an involved member of the community and a friend to many. But only those who know her full story know that she has been dealing with a major health crisis for a long time. And that in the midst of that, she also has had to deal with the most difficult kind of grief a person can handle. And throughout it all, she has made a consistent choice to be as positive as she possibly can. How does she do it? And what from her life might help us to be positive as we face the challenges that are in front of us? That's what we're here to talk about today. And I'd like to welcome Cheryl Sheridan with us now. Cheryl, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us. We're thrilled to have you. Thank you, Father Scott. Glad I'm you're very here. Happy to be doing it. I'm oh, happy to be doing it. The feeling is mutual. So why don't we start by learning a little bit about your family for those who don't know you? Tell us about your your husband and your kids. Well, my husband and I we met oh years back. We've been married thirty years in July. Congratulations. And thank you. Thank you. We met actually he started work um at my place of business on my 25th birthday and we were very good friends for a year a couple of years before we even dated um but yes we had a wonderful wedding with our two beautiful families in 1990 and then we have two children my son jc was born in 1992 and my my daughter gary ann was born in 93 so we just live locally and you know i'm from ravina and Always had a very supportive family um, in Ravina and um, in the next town. You know, my, my, my children went to Greenville School, and mm. and um, I do. I love our small communities. I really do. Um, in our family, like you said, I've been I've had some challenges. We've had challenges, but um, you know, we get through them together. Amen. Amen. Well, and it's funny how connected we all are because, you know, I'm the pastor of the Catholic Church in in the in your hometown, and yes. I have found over the years that uh, I'll, I'll I'll realize that somebody I know from one association is a dear friend of yours, and then somebody else I know from another association is a relative. <laughs> and then somebody it's amazing how many layers of uh, of connection and how many uh, threads of, of inner, inner relationship there are here. And I'm wondering, one of the things that, uh, one of the ways that we've met has been in church. And I'm wondering, you know, not everybody who goes to church, um, has faith as a bedrock of their life and not everybody who doesn't go to church doesn't. Tell me a little bit about what faith has meant for you over the years. How, how what was the role of faith in your life when you were young and how did that change and evolve? Okay. Well, I, I, um, actually my husband and I were both, you know, we're both Catholic. We we're brought up Catholic. Um, and I actually went to St. Pat's 
Patrick's school. Wow. <laughs> um, I actually even went, went to St. Patrick's. Um, and, you know, I, I, I often have, I don't know, I, I've often said, you know, I was brought up with, um, you know, going to the Catholic school and my father was, and my parents were strict about, you know, going to church and everything. I felt like I wanted to, I, I kind of lightened up a little bit like where, where my children, what I tried to teach them is, you know, that your faith should be based on a relationship with God, not just your religious obligations, but um, follow Christ because you want to. Mm. Um, and, you know, and, and just be a, a good person. And, and every day of your life, just try to, you know, trust in God and, and, um, and, you know, faith, so I've always had faith, and I do have to say that my faith in God is strengthened as I've walked through painful experiences and challenges in life, which everyone has. So I think anyone listening to this that has had, you know, any challenges in life know that if you do have faith and you do trust in God, it just helps you through, and it does get stronger, because sometimes it's all you have, <laughs> you know, when you feel like you just can't control anything um it does it helps you so yes i've always had faith in my life and um i do think in ways it's not you know what it's not even as it's, i don't know i don't concentrate on keeping it structured as much it just happens because i feel it i i want to grasp it um you know it's it's uh it, you know it's what i i've always had in my life but like you said you know it, it can change mm. you know you still have it but it may not be as much you know um a, a religious obligation as much as it is you just aren't forced by guilt to do it you really want to i um, love that distinction i love yeah. that distinction because yes i do think that a lot of us practice our religion because it's it's what a good person does. Right. Um, or, and we don't wish to feel guilty, but there comes a time in life where you realize this is something I, I not only want, but like you said, I need. Sometimes it's the only thing I have. Yes, yes. And, and I think it also teaches us too, you know, that I don't know, that we should really, love has a lot to do with it too. Um, you know, that, it won't necessarily reverse difficult situations in your life or illnesses, but every it has everything to do with having a high quality of life and the best state of health possible. If you have your faith, if you have love for others, it, yeah, I mean, it just your mindset makes a big difference. I I love that. You know, the quote that comes to mind as you say that is that some people are religious because they're afraid of hell. And oh, yeah. other people are religious because they've been through hell. Oh, I like that. Actually. Isn't that so true? <laughs> you know, you might have faith because you're afraid of hell, but what you said is the motivation of love is so much stronger and more beautiful. Yes. Oh, uh, 
I say it much better than me, though. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Get the words out. <laughs> well, let me say this: you, the one of the reasons you say it with deep integrity and authenticity is because of what you've been dealing with for the past decade. A lot of us have a list, a short list of health problems that really make us feel afraid. You know, for some people, it's ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. Um, but you've got one of those illnesses that that is kind of the kind of thing that many people have often thought about or or worried about. Tell me a little bit about your what you started dealing with. Is it is it eleven years ago now, Cheryl? Yes. Yep. Two thousand nine. Um, yes, I uh, I thought I noticed that I couldn't taste, and I was thinking it was allergies, whatever. Well, long story short, because if anyone listening to this knows me, they know I tend to ramble and give you a little too much. <laughs> we but, love it. We love it. <laughs> I, um, I had an MRI of my head and ended up with, they told me that I had a large tumor, a brain tumor in my head. And oh. The, I went to an ENT, an ear, nose, and throat doctor, thinking, I don't know what I was thinking, but she was sending me to a neurosurgeon, ended up having a 14-hour um, craniotomy to remove the tumor. They could not get the whole thing. Um, but I have to say, when they first told me, I've had other issues before that. I had lost um, my mother and my father already, and, um, you know, I... My husband had some heart problems and had had a five-way bypass. And, you know, we, we went through this as a family. Mm. And to tell you the truth, when they actually called me on the phone to tell me about my tumor, I didn't even want to call John, my husband, and my daughter, Gary Ann, and my son, JC. I, I almost thought I would be protecting them if I didn't tell them. Yeah. Um, but then I couldn't get through it without them. And it's not fair to them. You know, I just... That, that first moment that you hear this kind of news. But, you know, we, we got through it. We get through it together because, you know, someone with an illness or anything that you're going through, um, if you're like me, I'm blessed. I don't just have my husband and children that were helping me through it, but I have my three siblings that are all local. And, you know, I just, I do. I feel blessed. I have to say, you know, if there's anyone listening to this thing, you know, that is recently diagnosed with a brain tumor or anything, I'm here 11 years later. And I, you know, the, the first surgery, I do have to say, I, I, you know, there's no words for it. You are just frightened. 14 hour craniotomy, Cheryl, just the, yeah. oh, a 14 hour surgery in your brain. We, I mean, I think yeah. we're all just humbled by the thought of it. it you know, and, and. I have to say, um, all the MRIs that I've had on my brain in 11 years, I just say so many Our Fathers and Hail Marys while I'm in there. Um, and, you know, I don't know. I think, yes, faith does help you through. Love and support of others is so important. Um, and you do. You get through it. Um, I don't know. I just reacted to it. I was very, very scared and I but I wasn't just scared for me I wasn't it, because it is about my husband and my children mm. and my siblings and and the people in my community because our small community is so very supportive um you know it's it's so that was the first of my craniotomies um 
and the kind of tumor I have um, is the, is very aggressive. So it was growing, and then I went to um, Boston to Massachusetts General to have mm. proton radiation um, about a year and a half after the surgery, and that actually I have to say held the tumor for about six and a half years. It did not grow. Wow. Um, you know, it's amazing that we live in a world where today, I'm, I'm just blessed that I have this tumor now and not in 1980. I mean, there's so much more. Every day there's something new. Mm. Um, so this proton radiation, it did. It held it. Um, and then, you know, I mean, there's. I've had many procedures and radiations and, and other tumors that appeared afterward. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I just... I just feel like everyone has something. If you look around you, um, everyone is dealing with something. And it may not be a brain tumor. It could be someone going through um, the loss of a job right now with coronavirus or something. You know, I mean, any everyone has something. Yes. Um, but this at the time, and then when they didn't get the whole tumor, Oof. I was discouraged. Um, but... You know, I, again, I, I felt like, you know, both my children were in high school. Um, you know, if they were really young, it's tough on little kids, but sometimes I feel that they may not understand as much, but my children, I worried so much about, you know, what was going through their mind and how they were worried for me. What was their reaction like when you told them? Well, I think to tell you the truth, I... They were both pretty quiet, um, kind of like my husband is, is keeps more to himself and, and he's, you know, not as vocal, um, the exact opposite of me, who's very vocal, yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, they, I, you know, they weren't full of a bunch of questions. They just kind of took it in and I think I worried more because they weren't expressing. Yes. Um, in the very beginning. But I think really we were all kind of blindsided. We were just kind of shocked. Mm. Um, and, but I have to say after going through the, you know, craniotomies, I mean, they're major surgeries. It's a tough recovery, but I need to tell you that my only permanent damage from that tumor was what the tumor did before I knew I had it. It took my taste and smell because it was on my olfactory, in my olfactory groove. So that's taste and smell. And that, you know, was the damage before I even knew I had the tumor. The surgery, after that 14-hour surgery, yes, I had, you know, recovery and everything. But no, no permanent damage from that surgery. Wow. Nothing. So it's amazing what these surgeons can do. Masterful. Um, Masterful. Yeah. Yep. Wow. What was it like in those, let's say the first, you said it took going to Mass General to get the tumor to stabilize for six years. What was it like as you were recovering from the first craniotomy and, and trying to imagine a normal life? Did What kind of a quality of life does a, does a person in your situation have at that point? Well, I have to say in the very beginning, because, you know, you don't know. You don't know where your future is is, is going to take you. Um, you know, 
I wasn't at first they told me it was probably a benign tumor most likely if they're that large that you know it could be a slow growing it could you know they, but they don't really know by looking at an MRI they don't mm. know until you get into your head and get a piece of it or whatever mm. um, my tumor is not malignant but mine is considered atypical which is so my kind of tumor meningioma is um, a grade one two and three I'm a grade two very rarely do you have a malignant meningioma, but my tumor is precancerous, so it is considered cancer, but it is not going to metastasize, and it's not, you know, it's not going to have, you know, um, fingers and 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 moves through my brain. It's 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 my kind of tumor in layman's terms is like a benign tumor, but it has crumbs around it mm. that are not by the naked eye or an MRI, but when they biopsied around it, those cancer cells are, it's cancer cells around it. So now when I went to have proton radiation, when they told me I had to have that, I was nervous about that too. I didn't, you don't want to have radiation. You don't want to have brain surgery, but it, like, what do you do? I mean, yeah. you have, and everything comes with a side effect. Um, but no, what I felt after having that surgery especially in the beginning when I was just not you know it was just not feeling quite well um you know you do I think you fear and, and I thought to myself am I dying but you know I have to say we're all dying you know we're human we are we all we all are but are we all living mm. um, and I think when you go through this you know terrible health issues or major things in your life it kind of force it gives you a reset button it gives you a reset button like okay i'm gonna live mm. i'm gonna live now because i thought i almost died you know um and and that's the thing we are we're all mortal we're all we're all going to die at some point but really are we all living and i think people that have cancer or or feel that their life is shorter that they fulfill that time I don't know. They they just fulfill their life with they fill it with. Again, here we go back to to love, and it's not about with me. It's not about travel. It's people will say, "Well, where do you want to travel?" Mm. And, well, I want to stay home with my family. It's yeah. family. It's family. It's your loved ones. You know, John and JC and Gary Ann and I. Um, you know, in a different way. Everyone, through difficulty in different ways, but we were there for each other. Being there for each other on a day by day, one day at a time basis is uh, that's so inspiring. And you know, a, a quote came to my mind as you were saying, I, for you to say, we're all dying, but are we living? What a question that is. What a powerful question. Um, and it, it reminds me of hearing something that the, the mother of someone with a very aggressive illness one time said. She said, I don't like when people say you only live once. She said, it's not true. You only die once. You live every day. Oh, I love that. Oh, isn't that, um, isn't that so true? No, you don't only live oh. once. You live every day. You only die once. That is, see, that's, I like that. Oh. But you know, and it's from, but some, she's, the woman that told you this had 
gone through something yeah. major that made her realize, right? Yeah. But, you know, and, and sometimes you think, why does it take, <laughs> you know, why does it take something like that to make me realize? But it does sometimes. But you do, you are, would you say you're a different person than you were before the, the brain tumor? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Mm. I, I have, and, and, and I do have to say, have I, I don't know, I, in the beginning with the brain tumor and before other things have had to happen in my life and, and I've had other procedures done. Um, I, I think that I, I never want my health issues to define me though. I don't, I don't want it to define me. I don't want people to look at me and know, Oh, hmm. she had surgery. I don't want it to define me because I feel like I'm a survivor and no, that's, my brain tumor is not me. <laughs> I am me. And, um, you know, so I, I never wanted anything to define me. Um, but I feel like the more I go through with procedures or whatever, I, I handle it better each time. I am, you know, when I often say, when people say, oh, Cheryl, you're so strong, I almost get annoyed. Mm. I well, I have no choice. You have to be strong. But, no, you do, you know, in order to get through things in life, it does make you stronger. I mean, mm. yes, I could, I mean, there are days I don't want to get out of bed in the morning. Um, but then I just, I remember another one of your parishioners, Mary Jane Prosecco. She's always told me, you know, you just have to count your blessings. Mm. <laughs> and, and you do. I have many blessings and, um, and I remember a plaque in your office, and I think you even talked about it on one of your YouTube. Um, I, I think you've talked about it before, too. Yeah. Um, and, and it says something like, God doesn't give us more than we can handle. God helps us handle what we are given. You have just, I mean, I'm just looking at that plaque, and you named it. Yep, God doesn't, God doesn't give us what we can handle. God helps us handle what we are given. Okay, yes. And I just remembered, I wrote it down in notes from when I met with you in your office once. And, um, and yes, I, I, I do. I, I, I think of that and I think, you know, and I think, yes, I'm strong, but I also have God helping me, Mm. (laughs) you know? Um, so you do, you, um, I don't know. It does, does it change you? Yes, it does. But not, you know, it changes you for the better in a way. It does. Yeah. I really it does because it makes you appreciate and it makes you, it gives you strength. It gives you strength. Well, I'm just um, thinking, speaking of strength, I mean, one of the things that has always been a, a trademark of your personality is high energy and people can hear it in your voice. You're somebody who's, you know, you're quick with responses. You're very, you're upbeat. You feel like, it feels like you must have a great metabolism. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, the steroids I'm on right now kind of help with that right now. <laughs> so oh. More than usual. <laughs> well, but you're an exercise a class instructor as well. And I'm just curious about that. We're... After the tumor, after 2009, were you able to return to yep. some of those? Th- Did you teach exercise classes with a brain tumor? I, I sure, I have for 11 years. Um, oh. I, you know, and the thing is, is even, you know, people, I mean, I even taught 
oh, when I worked even full time, I would part time teach exercise. When I was pregnant for both my children, I I right up till delivery date, you know, um, because exercise. I don't know. It's it's your physical being. If you feel good, then you know it helps your it helps your mind too. And mind mm. over matters big too. If your mind is healthy, you feel physically better. Um, the right state of mind can affect your future. It can affect your health, but it does help if you work at, you know, <laughs> keeping your physical self. Um, especially because I had other underlying issues. I had an autoimmune disease, girl, a derma before the brain tumor. Mm. Um, you know, so I had other things. Um, but the main reason why I did it, father is I enjoyed it. Mm. And, and I have a disability retirement from years ago, um, and I still taught silver sneakers exercise, which is my seniors, mm. my senior citizens, um, and that really gave me purpose. It got me out of the house, and it was social more than it was even about the exercise. Yes. And during COVID now, I really miss my my classes. Um, but yes, if I'm going through treatment, if I'm you know, not right after surgery, months after um, brain surgery is what it took. But um, as soon as I had doctor's clearance, um, I would be doing it. And it wasn't just for the physical exercise. It was social. It was mental. It was, I just enjoyed it. It's, it's, it's a beautiful and amazing thing. I think people are just, you're giving so much hope to the people who maybe are early in a diagnosis that they feel like will rob them of everything. And you're here to say how much it did not, it has not taken from you. It, it's taken some things, but it did not take what was most essential. Exactly. And really, um, with that first tumor, I, I still have no taste, no smell. And I, I kid, my sister will be out to eat with me or whatever. And I'm like, Oh, try this. It's so good. And she looks at me like, really? Are you kidding me? You know, hey, <laughs> what I do, I thoroughly enjoy my food. It's not just about texture. Um, it's attitude. It's mind over matter is what it is. It really is. Um, you know, I, plus I'm an albino. I don't know. We, yeah, you're Italian. You're going to enjoy food. She's from one of these awesome Italian families here in Ravina. Shout out to the Albanos. We love you. We love you. <laughs> so Cheryl, I hate to I hate to pivot at such a positive point, but of course you've been through more than just a brain tumor. And I think a lot of us have have been afraid of getting a, a diagnosis of a brain tumor. That's one of those classic illnesses that all of us have maybe thought about at least once or twice in our life. What would I do if that were my story? But there's something that I think we all fear more than that. And, and it's something that you had to face without any warning at all. Yeah. Um, I am so sorry to bring it up, but I know that you really desire to help people who are going through this because you, you have a story to tell that you wish was not your story, but it is part of your story. Talk to us about that, that difficulty in 2013. Okay. I, um, like I said, I have my son, JC and my daughter, Gary Ann and JC was living home with John and I, this was the summer of 2013. And that summer he was having a lot of, 
he always had asthma and allergies and allergy induced asthma. And he had a tough summer with a viral infection that was hitting his weak organ, his lungs. Mm. Um, and he was home with us and he was, um, he was working and, um, he was just finishing up a college semester before that. And, um, he passed away. He was right here at the house with John and I. Uh, he had emptied his inhaler and he was having trouble breathing. So I had gone to the pharmacy and called the pharmacy and they said they had an atomizer he could use, which is like a nebulizer type thing. Mm. And I was going to be bringing him to the urgent care. Like I had brought him a couple of times and um, he was putting the machine together and um, long story short, and I don't want to get too emotional, but he... Um, he tried the machine. It didn't help. And he had collapsed in our dining room and John and I were both here right with him. So I started CPR. We live, we live out, you know, in a rural area mm. and the ambulances, you know, all of our neighbors were in the, you know, it's like our town and all neighboring towns. We're all here like 20, 25 minutes after we called and it was just too late. Um, oh. so you know, I, I, um, it was the worst thing that has ever happened to any of us, but I, the blessing I find in it is that I was here, both of us were here with him. We were here when he came into this world and we were both with him. And, you know, I mean, I try to find the positive, but it, it does. It haunts me. It's I have PTSD from it. My daughter does. My, You know, I mean, it is. It is the most traumatic thing, I think, that can can happen to you. Um, but I have to say that I do feel blessed that I was with him. And, um, you know, I think that you know, you lose, you lose sight of a lot of things. And, and, and it was, it was very traumatic and it was not expected. I mean, mm. uh, but I have to say though, we had an outpouring of, of support and love from, again, our families, both of our families are just amazing, but the small, a small community, I'm telling you, my, my, my sister had come you know, I mean, we had 600 people at his, his service. And, and I just, you know, it says a lot about JC, but it says a lot about the people in our communities, our, my neighboring communities. I just, mm. you know, it, it, people shared stories about him and people still share stories. And I, I love that. You know, I don't, what I don't like is when people are afraid to even say his name in front of me. You're not going to bring up anything that's not foremost in my mind every day of my life. Do you um, think that's true for a lot of mothers? Because I think a lot of us, you might be helping a lot of us to understand how to support better. Because I think a lot of us um, are afraid to, to bring up the name of the loved one thinking that some version of this, maybe she's having a good day and she doesn't want to be reminded of the worst day of her life. What, what are your thoughts about that kind of thinking? No, I, I, and I do think most people would agree. Um, I know my husband and I are very different. He keeps a lot in. Um, I feel like I talk about JC 
more than ever. Um, mm. And I think another, I, I do feel, and I talked about it with my daughter, Gary Ann, too, because Gary Ann and JC had all the same, all of the same friends. You're um, mm. a part in school. And, and she still is with all of these friends. And she said, you know, if someone starts to say his name or whatever, I, you know, I'm sure she sees some of the friends kind of cringe, like, oh, don't say anything. But I think she would agree, and John would agree too, if someone is going to share a story, I, I, or a photo, a photo even of him, that if someone, my sister-in-law will share photos of JC that I've never seen, and she shares them with me, I feel like I just had a visit from him. Oh. Um, and it, it is, I, I, other people may not be like me, but I do feel that I I just welcome whoever wants to to talk about him or bring him up. No, you're not going to people. You're not going to bring up anything that's not already foremost in our minds, and it's not going to give me a bad day if you're talking about my son. You ha- um, oh how you will never give me a bad day if you're talking about my son. I love never, so much. Never. Oh. Never. Nope. We feel um, it. We feel but it. But I do get it because you know what? It's human. We don't even, people are awkward going to wakes or funerals. You don't know what to say. But I do have to say, sometimes no words and just a hug, which makes this COVID so hard right now. Um, I'm such a huggy person. You know, I really am. And I, I just love hugs. But I had a friend, JC passed away on a, on a Thursday night and Friday morning, a friend came to the house and John knocked on my bedroom door. I was just laying on the bed and he said, and I said, yes, yeah, send her in. She just came in and just knelt on the bed and hugged me, did not say a word. Oh. And uh, that just stuck with me. And I should probably tell her now, um, you know, seven and a half years later, almost, um, how much that did mean. And it didn't take, thing and I and I I do I remember Mary Jane Persico even saying when you interviewed her um that she had a sister-in-law that just came and sat in a chair and she and I have discussed this Mm. before where you know no words even have to be said but I do think it is human nature to just be awkward when you go to a wake or to a funeral or you know you don't have the right words you say I'm sorry and it's like I don't know why am I saying I'm sorry? You know, Um, but so it is, it's an awkward thing, but no, people should not feel um, like they're going to upset someone. Um, And you know what? It's okay to cry and to be upset. Sometimes I just put on, you know, I had JC's phone that had music on it and I would put it in my car when I was driving alone after his death, and I knew I would cry listening to his playlist. Sure. I wanted to cry. I wanted to cry. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, one of the things you've said is, as as positive a person as you are, and as, as, as much life as you have in you, you don't really want to get over JC's death. Yes. What do you mean by that? Well, I think what that stems from is... When people say, oh, don't worry, Cheryl, time will heal. And I think it's that I just, well, I don't want to heal, and I'm not going to ever heal completely. Um, time has taught me how to cope and move on and, and, and 
if anyone is listening to this and they've recently lost a child, I know it's raw right now. And I'm, I don't want to tell them that time will heal. Yeah. Because I think it's the wrong verbiage. I think it's um, because you don't ever heal. This He's part of me. He's my baby, you know? Mm. Um, and, and I think with my health issues, I think I've already told you, I don't want them to define me. So I don't really need feel like I need to tell people about my health issues right off the bat, but being a mother who has lost a child, it, it changes you more than anything else will, and it does define me. And I think if I meet someone new, I have found in the past seven years, I, I need to tell them that I've lost a child. I need them to understand who I am. It does, I mean, it is part of me. Yes. And... So I, I, I don't know. I think, you know, you don't completely heal from it. I mean, from any loss, do we, do we completely heal? Um, but especially a child, you know, and, and you do, you go on through life with the what ifs and, you know, um, did I do, you know, I mean, I was going to be taking him to the urgent care, you know, after he did try this machine that, I witnessed triggered his death. It didn't cause it, but it was too much for his lungs to handle. Mm. But, but, you know, what if and I'm thinking, well, geez, should I have taken him to the ER? You know, but you can't do that to yourself. Right. Um, but, but yes, he is. He's, he was only on this, this earth for 21 years, but boy, did he have a fulfilling, he just, the stories people shared at his memorial, the stories I still hear today, and the impression he left on so many make me so proud. Tell us, tell proud. us about him, because he was. I mean, we're gonna. I'm gonna ask if you're willing to share a picture. Well, for those who are watching the YouTube okay. version of this, they'll get to see a picture of first of all, such a handsome young man. Oh, thank you. So handsome. But tell us more about him. What kind of things do you cherish about him, and what kind of things have you heard people say they cherish about him? Well, he, he was passionate about, um, you know, friends that he had. He had um, a lot of friends, but he, it wasn't never like a clique. Neither of my children ever had like a clicky group in school. Just friendly with everybody. Mm. Um, but he was passionate about baseball. He loved all sports, but baseball was his sport. And actually, after his death, his coach for his travel team, which he was still playing on at 21, um, and his green, you know, down at the school, um, they have his his uniform in a shadow box, and it's up on the wall at the school. Oh. Um, you know, in memory of JC, and we do a scholarship every spring, every um, year for a senior who plays varsity baseball at the school and they get a scholarship um and it's not and that's not about how you play baseball it's about sportsmanship and character because jace was a, a good team player and you know was just passionate about it um he was a you know family was always big with us he just adored all of his all of his family, but his sister, JC and Gary Ann were very, very close. They were, um, a year apart in school. And like I said, they had all the same friends, but they, 
you know, they, they never really bickered. They didn't really fight much. I mean, it was kind of amazing at how well they got along. So Gary Ann not only lost her brother, but her best friend. Mm. She really was her best friend. And, um, you know, what a blessing that she had him, you know, and that she still does. She still does. And, um, you know, he, but he was, he was also, you know, looked forward to family, you know, gatherings and everything, which, you know, what sometimes, you know, I'm sorry, but what 18 year old boy or 19 year old, you know, really wants to go to a family gathering. Right. Um, but both of my children, they, they, you know, always enjoyed the family and, you know, he was going to, he, he graduated high school in 2010, and now let me think, <laughs> and, um, and he was at Hudson Valley, mm. and this will tell you about JC, I remember telling him, you know, you got great SAT scores, you could go anywhere, he goes, mom, I don't even know what, what I want to go for co- to college for, so I should go to community college just to, you know, to figure it out first. Mm, wise. me, I'm thinking, wow, that's you're on to something here. Um, so he was, he had just finished up Hudson Valley and when that, when he passed away, um, but he was working at age 14, he started working, um, as kitchen help down, like doing dishes probably in the beginning when he was 14, when he got his working papers right down in our town. And, and he was there seven years, every summer he oh. was there and he ended up helping the cook and, and, you know, I mean, he went up the, the ladder in the kitchen, you know, um, but he was dedicated. He would, his summers, he would have his alarm go off. He wouldn't even have an alarm go off. He'd just get up at like five to go down and prepare breakfast for the camp goers down at the place. And, and then he'd come home. And then he'd have to go back to work for the lunch shift and then come home and then go back for the dinner shift. And I used to say to him, this is crazy. Your whole summer is, you know, I mean, you've got to kill time and stay close to home. This is ridiculous. But he had a good work ethic. And that was shared at his his um, memorial, too, is, um, you know, people from work that were you know, I heard from his superiors how they were just impressed with him and that he was always pleasant and that he was dedicated and had a good work ethic. And it made me proud. Mm. Um, and, and Gary Ann's the same way. My daughter, you know, I mean, she, she graduated St. Rose and she, um, you know, it's like I wasn't really supportive at first when she said, well, I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to do blog. And, and she was still working. She said, well, I'm doing so well with this blog. Um, she does, um, it's called the peachy prodigy and she does, she's a recipe developer and content creator and does health tips kind of like, almost like health coach type thing on, um, on different platforms and she's very successful. And so I'm very proud of, you know, of the work ethic that, that these kids have. Um, but yes, I, I do. I still hear you know, funny, goofy stories from friends and, you know, from his bosses or from, from, you know, people in, in college or his teachers in school that will remember his smile or remember, you know, um, it does. It, it, it just puts a smile on my face when people share. It really 
was, but he was, um, you know, he, he was just a family guy. He was, he's, he's stuck, he's stuck to him. His, his own, I don't know, he just walked his own walk. No one was going to sway him, <laughs> you mm. know? Um, but I do have to say what my daughter said. She goes, Mom, you're you, you like, you know, you 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 always tell good stories. She goes, but he was so bad when he was little. I remember him. You wouldn't, you couldn't do time out. You couldn't do, I'm like, Carrie Ann, you're right. You're right. When someone passes on, we kind of forget the things that drove us crazy. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> And he was naughty when he was little. Oh, yeah. It was, I mean, I don't know. I, I remember my father used to say, he goes, whoever came up with this timeout. Uh. <laughs> but Jake, it was like I, I could never get to him. You know, I would be in the, the market and he would have a fit because he couldn't have something. And I would just leave the market with a basket there and never even go through the checkout because I'm like, I can't, I can't, I have to leave. <laughs> he was that strong-willed. But, yes, he was. He was strong-willed. But... Um, but yes, I, and I do have to say, um, after he passed, I, I tried the support group. There's, um, Compassionate Friends is, I've had other people, Mary Jane Persico and, and Elaine Christopher, different people in your parish who have lost children who have been key people for me. Um, Compassionate Friends, I went with them to one and then I went to another one on my own. And what it is, it's a support group for those parents who have lost children. And, you know, support groups are people talking, and we all know I love to talk. Mm. But I couldn't do this this support group. I couldn't do it. It was just too too painful for me. It was too much pain in one room. Um, And... I, I don't know if maybe I went too early after JC's death or if I should give it another try. Um, but I had like a headache the day after both nights that I went to these compassionate friends meetings because I just cried the whole night, you yeah. know? Um, so I thought that was too much for me and I do want to give it another chance. You know what um, we might do, Cheryl, maybe when we, when we post this podcast, I'll leave a link to compassionate friends in the, in the description of the podcast so that if somebody's interested in checking out information about compassionate friends, they can do that. And I, and I think it, it probably is a good idea for you to give it maybe one more chance. But I also yes. think there's another wisdom here that says it may not be for you. And I know talking to other mothers who've lost children, they've often told me there is no prescription for how to move forward. It is dependent upon each person. Exactly. And Compassionate Friends is a wonderful group. And they, they, you know, I mean, I'll get mailings from them too. They have newsletters and, you know, helpful poems and stories from other parents. And that was more of what I could handle at the time. But I do think I'm ready to try to go. As a matter of fact, we're approaching the holidays and they do candle lightings and, and different things that time of year. And I, I think I am going to give it a try again this year. Oh, that's a lovely goal. That's a lovely goal. And I, uh, I support it. I support it. And I also support if you try it again and it once again, doesn't, doesn't hit the mark. Um, wonderful for you to be compassionate to yourself, to be your own compassionate friend. If it doesn't work and say, I'm not going to beat myself up for not doing something that works for others, but may not work for me. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because you do. I mean, I think 
you do. You, I know everyone there at these meetings are, are going through life with a heavy heart, a hole in their heart, whatever, you know, I mean, you do, you, you, you go through life. Um, it does change you, but you do cope, you do grow. And the help of others who go through the same thing, it always helps. It does. It's why I'm doing this podcast with you. I, I know that this, if it does help even one person, I, it makes me feel better. I know it will. I know it will. And that's why it is so good of you to share, especially because everybody's story is unique. But this is probably a good time for us to be reminded of the fact that in the middle of this terrible grief, you still were dealing with a brain tumor. Yes. And, I, you know, I, yeah. Yeah. And I do have to say, though, um, so that, that radiation did hold it. But I have to say that that tumor started, I think grief does a lot to you. Um, you know, me going out in public and putting on my smile and, you know, some days I don't, I'm like, I just can't do it. It's too tiring. Mm. Um, and, but I think that that does do a lot to you because my tumor did start to grow. Um, again, after JC passed, um, and I do, I say it that way, like it affected it because I, I do think grief does a lot to you. Like I said, mind over matter does a lot to you. Yeah. Um, but, so yes, that tumor was growing again in, in the summer of 2000, oh, let's see, I don't know, 2017, I had three brain surgeries. I had, now they tried to approach through my nose to get the tumor, and then I, and they went over my eyebrow instead of a full craniotomy, and they got the whole tumor. They got it all. Wow. And it was wonderful, but then I ended up with a spinal fluid leak. And they had to go back into the nose and repair, and and then I had another spinal fluid leak. So that summer was three surgeries, two of which were just repairs. Um, and part of the reason why I really can't have more brain surgeries because it was just it's too frail in there now. Too much mm. has been. But um, but then it, it still was growing. Um, oh no! So then nine months after that, they did another MRI just to be sure everything. Good, and they found another tumor. Oh, Cheryl. So that kind of threw me for a loop. I, um, it was way smaller than the first one. The first one was, you know, like baseball size. You know, people compare, why do we compare tumors to inanimate objects or to fruit? You know, people say, oh, it was a great fruit size, or it was the size That's of That's true. Fruit. We do, don't we? Yes. yes, we do. But I went from the size of a, I don't know, uh, an orange to the size of probably a grape because now the tumor that I have is one centimeter, which is small. Um, but it's all real estate of where these tumors live in your brain. And, Mm. um, so this one has me a little bit more, um, frightened. I'm still dealing with it. And I've had a couple of surgeries on it. I've had radiation on it again. Um, this radiation didn't work to stop it. Um, but I can't have, surgery or radiation again that's just too risky to keep having them so i have a wonderful oncologist that is and i've been to sloan kettering in new york city i've been to mass general again in boston i've seen the best of the best and they all agreed i started a chemo treatment um well this is kind of funny april fools (laughs) Um, during a pandemic I started chemo and started it I was supposed to start it April 1st but I started it April 2nd but it's very appropriate isn't it (laughs) it is it is so 
I, I, you know, I, this, the, the chemo, I was pretty tolerant of it in the beginning. Um, but they had me on heavy steroids too for brain swelling on my, this one's on my optic nerve. It's taken out my pituitary gland and it's on my internal carotid arteries in my brain. It sounds like it's a huge tumor, doesn't it? Boy, the <laughs> but, real, that's some pretty serious real estate for this little centimeter. I know it's a centimeter. I'm thinking, how is it everywhere? I don't get it, but it's, you know, it is what it is, I guess. <laughs> um, but, uh, so this chemo, I think it was keeping it stable because I was doing an MRI every month and it was growing, but not as fast as it was. But I did lose vision in my left eye, which was 2020 in March. Um, and it's completely gone. But my right eye from the surgery two years ago, I have half the field of vision in my right eye, meaning that the top half I see is black, the bottom half I can see. Um, but that has been stable throughout all of this. So I'm praying to God that this stays stable. Um, I see a, a neuro-ophthalmologist and I, you know, deal with the division of the blind just to, to you know, be prepared. But um, I just pray that it stays stable and it has been. So there's a, there's power in prayer because I've had my doctors say, you know, that radiation went right through that eye, through that optic nerve. And I don't know how it's still hanging in there, but it is. Wow. Again, I know I have many prayer chains out there. People have said, do you mind if I put you on a prayer chain? I'm like, Oh, please do please. Yes. Um, Yes. You know, because no matter what doctor I have, my sister Trisha had told me, years back when I was going to Boston to see another doctor and I was nervous about seeing another doctor. And she said, you know what, Cheryl, she said, you're in God's hands. The doctors are also to support staff. And Mm. that stuck with me, you know, I'm thinking, you know what, you're right. So that's powerful. You're in God. God is your physician. Everybody else is support staff. Yes. Oh, Cheryl, that, Cheryl, vision, it sounds to me like vision would feel a little different than some of the other symptoms you've had. That's a pretty unkind cut. This is one of the harder things you've been through. Am I right about that? It it truly is. Because I have to say, for the 10 years before this surgery, maybe nine years before, um, when I had no taste or smell, I would joke about it. And I would say, you know, well, you know, well, it's not stopping me from eating, and I would kid about it. Um, but then I would also say, I've been known to say, as long as it's not my vision, you might as well kill me if it's my vision. So oh. now I tell John, I tell John now that it's happening, I'll tell him, okay, I'm not suicidal. Don't worry, I know I've said that for years. <laughs> but um, you know, the thing is, is when it's happening to you, and this is if anyone else is going through anything with vision, because people with diabetes have fear with vision. Yes. And, in other health issues, you know, no, you're not going to wake up blind. And that's what my neurosurgeon said. He goes, Cheryl, it's not going to happen quickly. And you'll, as much as it sounds scary, you know, you, you will, it, it'll, you'll get used to it gradually. You may not lose it all. Um, you know, so yes, I do always try to stay positive, but I, I'm, I'm very fearful when it comes to the vision. Um, when I walk my dog, I try to close my eyes to see, oh, could I do this? And I think, nope, couldn't do it. <laughs> but, oh. um, you know, it just, a lot goes through my head. But I think, um, you know, I think 
you know, and you try to stay positive. And then when I turn on the news these days and it's COVID or whatever, it's just, it's hard to stay positive sometimes. Yeah. Um, but I have to say, I just step back and count my blessings. I think of Gary Ann, my daughter, who is just, she's, she just got married this year. Oh, congratulations. COVID. Thank you. Yes, and we love him. We love Chris. He's just wonderful. He's good to her. He's good to us. He's a good person. Um, you know, she's had 2020, everyone says, is a crazy year with with COVID. But I told Gary Ann, I said, you know what? You got married. You bought a house. Your business is thriving. I mean, you know what? You had a good year. Um, and, yeah, the, the wedding, they, you know, I mean, we didn't have the reception. We can't do that with COVID. Hopefully next year we'll do that. And yes. we'll just take one day at a time. But, you know, you have to count your blessings. So, you know, it sounds too like she must have some of your genes because when I think of all that she's dealt with in her, you know, 27 years, it, it, you know, that's a oh. lot that she's dealt with. But it sounds like, I mean, her business, this blog, she is an inspiration to people. Oh, I, I need to tell you, I she's an inspiration to me. I mean, she's helped me and so many people that I know and don't know, I'm sure, with their grief because she not only shares how living a healthy lifestyle can help you, you know, physically, but mentally and how it's helped her deal with her grief. Mm. And like me talking to you and trying to help others through this podcast, Gary Ann every day, I think, is helping people through her you know, through, through her posts, she will share books on, on grief and, and, and different things that have helped her. You know, it's not just about eating healthy or, you know, exercise or do yoga, all these things she does to help herself. She shares, Mm. but she also shares about her PTSD, about her, because she has PTSD after JC's death. Yes. Um, And, and, She's done a couple of podcasts and interviews with people, and she's known around the world because of this internet. You know, I mean, amazing. Um, she has. She's done well, and I'm John and I are so proud of her. So proud. Um, and and Chris is so supportive too. Her husband. Hmm. Um, but yes, she is. She's a positive person, and I do think. I mean, there's many times, Father Scott, that I think, oh. She's watched her father, her father and her mother suffer with health issues and her grandparents and, you know, and, and then the death of her, her brother and best friend, you know, and I think, oh, but she just has grown and she, she shares so much, but I think it helps her. I think it's, you know, even if she has tried to seek, you know, I think I've, I've tried to seek, you know, a grief therapist after Jace and everything. And, and when Gary Ann lived in California, I think she tried, but I think she's been her own therapist by helping others. Oh, I really do. And I am. I'm That's very, the therapy. Yeah. I mean, and I do. I learn from her every day. I, I kind of wish she lived home still so she could cook for me because some of the things she puts on this site, I look at them like, oh, can you save me some of that? But, um, yes, very, very proud. And I do. I, I, I just feel like she 
this didn't miss a step. I mean, he passed away when she was still going to college and her semester started like the week after JC's memorial service. And I had called St. Rose just to say, you know, this is what happened. Can and they said, Oh, they're just getting syllabus and everything this week. She it's fine, she can start later. No, Gary Ann started on time. Wow. She was there. She was like, Mom, I need to keep distracted. Mom, I need and she persevered through that semester and semesters after and I just I don't know, my jaw just dropped at my own daughter. I just was amazed. Um, and then worried at the same time, like, oh my God, is she really okay? You know, because I'm thinking, are you really okay? Um, but yeah, she does, she talks about it and she'll talk to me and you know, I mean, she's very healthy about it. Very, I don't know. I think, you know, I think we all find that if you trust God and if you, you know, you just, you have the love and support of you know, other people and loved ones, I think it makes a big difference. What do you do? What do you do? I'm just thinking, so you, you, you lost the, the smell and the taste sense and you lost some, some other things in your life from surgeries. You lost some months of your life from being able to go outside and being able to do things. Then you went through the terrible grief of losing JC and, and, and you've gone through all of these ups and downs and countless surgeries and therapies and appointments in New York and Boston. And the one thing you said to God, maybe not in words, but in intention is just don't mess with my vision. I know. And then your vision. So I guess it brings up, and as a priest, I hear a lot of people wrestling with being angry with God. Yes. When something happens that feels unfair, like I told, I let you, you know, I, I said, I said, okay to taking everything, but just not my vision. I didn't fight you on any of it. And now you're taking my vision. And I guess the problem is when we feel angry with God, it doesn't always feel good because then we feel guilty about being angry with yep. God. We feel worried or fearful. Am I going to, is there going to be payback for being, you know, angry? Yes, with am I going to be struck by lightning? But you know, when people say silly things like that. Right. <laughs> silly things that reflect actually a deep, you know, a real insecurity, you know, yeah. what do you, yep. what do you think? You've wrestled with this. This is not okay. new to you. What do you say about all that? What do you do with the anger? that is natural when it feels like, all right, can, can you cut me a break, dude? Come on. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Again, I'm going to go back to your plaque in your office where it says God doesn't, you know, that, that God doesn't give us more than we can handle, that God helps us handle what we were given. There it is. Um, yeah. And, and I also, I have to say, I don't know. I, yes. Am I, because when I'm angry, because I will get very angry and I have to say, Especially after JC, when I lost JC, I think is when I was, I, I don't like to say, I don't even like to say that I was angry with God, but mm. I was very angry. And, and I think though with me, um, that like when there's, I, I don't know, I'm, I just don't want to place blame on God. You know, it's like, it's like there's no one else to blame. Then you have to be careful though with God because he's more powerful than my fear and my anger. So, so I, I, I need to respect God and, but I think 
instead of being angry with God, I think I'm just seeking a relation in our relationship. I'm seeking an understanding as to why. And I understand that, you know, I don't know when we, I don't know, maybe I'm seeking God's wisdom or, um, and that's where like that serenity prayer comes in too. I often think of that, that, you know, if God, I want God to grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, encourage to change the things that I can, but in the wisdom to know the difference. And, powerful, and, powerful. And, and it is a, a powerful prayer, but, and then I think, you know, if God controls all things, then why is he allowing this to happen? But then I flip it and I say, well, no, I'm just going to ask him to help me through it. So I, I try to let go of anger and trust in God. I just, that's why faith is the biggest component here. You, you need to trust in God, but when you are, you keep feeling, feeling like you're getting knocked down and you're feeling sorry for yourself. It's hard to do that. It's very hard. Um, and you know, I don't know. I, um, I don't know. We just, it kind of brings me to, you know, the, that people say that everything happens for a reason. Mm. Um, You know, I don't know. I go back and forth with that too, because my faith says, well, yeah, everything's God's will and, you know, the divine plan and, and, you know, we're not meant to understand until heaven and, and, you know, we must surrender the need to understand and to trust it. I don't know if it comes from me being a control freak, but I need to control. (laughs) You know, I don't know. But I think, I think with me, I think that accepting some unforeseen reason that you have no control over means that, I don't know, that, that you're kind of a victim of your own circumstances. I, I don't know. I, I feel like um, I would rather shape my despair and my pain into hope and, and kind of like look back with gratitude and not be angry. Yeah, there's no, you know, anger is not going to get me anywhere. So I just have to look at this unfair event that has battered me and leave it in God's hands and just have hope and and dig into my virtues to survive. I Do you think. know what it sounds? I mean, the image that I get as you say that is if you're sitting at, if life is like sitting at a table and what is all over your table for good reason is pain and despair. I love that image of you saying, I want to see if I can shape it into hope. I mean, that to me is yeah. just so, po- it, it's, it's a, it's a richer version of that whole, well, all I've got on my, all I've got right now is, is lemons and people are coming over for a, for a backyard picnic. What should I serve to drink? Lemonade. I love that. Yep. You know what I mean? It's real. I, all I have is lemons that you, they can't drink lemons, but they can drink lemonade. And if all I have is, is fear and pain and anger and despair, well, I've got a lot of energy there. And that energy maybe can be reshaped into hope. Yeah, because, you know, I uh, I don't know. I, I, I feel like so many people do deal with something in their lives. You know, I mean, yes. I, I, have, I, have I had my moments where it's like, come on, come on. This is enough I can't handle anymore. And when people yeah. say, you know, and the anger, it isn't really just directed to get, like, I have 
loved ones, and this is where guilt feel, feel really comes into the into the mix again. I have loved ones, family, and people of faith, and people, just friends in passing that will try to make me feel better, and they'll say, "Oh, Cheryl, you know it's God's plan," and you know, and there's just some days, Father Scott, that I just want to be angry, and I don't want people to fix it. You got some it. Days, I just, you know, and I just put on the happy face. Thank you. Thank you. And then uh, I just walk away like, oh, my God, I'm so sick of people trying to fix me. Yeah. (laughs) But they mean well. And they don't like to see you hurt. That's right. I do appreciate it. But then I get mad at myself and I feel the guilt because I'm thinking, well, they were just trying to help you. What is your problem? <laughs> there are um, so many people listening right now that are so relieved to hear you say that because that's what they're struggling with. They're like, I want to be open to comfort. I want to be open to consolation, but I can't control the fact that some days I don't want you trying to make it okay because it does. Well, it's like what it, it's maybe a relative of what you said. For anyone who thinks that the best thing they could do for you is take away all your sorrow over JC, they actually wouldn't be helping you. You don't want to get over it. I don't want to. Nope. I, you know, I, I do appreciate what they're trying to do. But, you know, and I do, the thing is, is I do have so many people in my life. You know, you had mentioned when I was talking to you earlier, I mean, social media is a nice tool. And I do have so many people through classes and even just acquaintances people that take my, were taking my class like just once a week or whatever, but, and I know them, but when I want to give an update as to what's happening with my tumor or whatever, I just, I do, I feel so blessed. I have so many people in my life that I can't call them all. I can't. So, but I don't want to go on social media and say, this is what happened. And this is, you know, I don't want to give too much info. So I'll just do little things, little updates. Like, Oh, I had my MRI tumor stable. Thank you for prayers. I appreciate your support. Father Scott, I will have probably, I mean, hundreds of people. You're still in my prayers. You're still, and I just, I've even put things where I put on, you know, I'll put a post and I'll say no need to respond. Mm. And people will do. And, you know, I'll have other people say, oh, my God, I don't even respond because you have, like, hundreds that respond. And I do feel blessed. But but then I'm thinking, oh, you know, I'll get cards in the mail. I'll get people offering for rides because I can't drive anymore with my vision. Mm. And, and I just so appreciate it. But then I'm like, oh, man, I can't drive, and I hate this. And, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, um, so it, it is, it's very, I just, you do have to learn though, to just, I think you, I don't know what it was on what, I don't know if it was a YouTube or podcast of yours that I heard it or something a parishioner had said when you said, when you live in your heart, magic happens. Mm. And when I heard that, it was something that you had broadcasted and and when I heard that I thought you know yes it's again it boils down to the right state of mind and love helps that mm. um but I don't know I just it, but my survival I have to say yes number one is faith and number two is 
or maybe even equal with, I don't know. It's like, because love and support of my family, my friends, my community, I just, I couldn't do this. It's when people are alone, um, it saddens me because I am very blessed to have so much love and support. Um, but again, if people are alone, there are support groups. Yeah. And if the support group like Compassionate Friends doesn't work, you meet with one person who has lost a child or has a brain tumor or has whatever your problem is, MS yeah. or whatever it is. Just reach out and try to find someone who can understand what you're going through. Because, you know, so many people, especially the loss of a child, you don't want people to get it. I don't want people to. Right. <laughs> um, you would love to spare them. them. You don't, yes, you don't have would. an enemy you hate enough to wish this upon them. No, I, I, and I do think most, if, if someone's a parent, they get the fear of, I think that's all everyone's worst fear, but, um, but no, you know, there are options. There's, there's ways to try to find that hope for your future. Um, but you know, to endure through things like that, life is difficult. And actually I think, you know, if you actually had a room of 300 people, or 400 people, doesn't matter how many, it could be thousands. And if you said, okay, we're going to break everyone up into support groups, you know, it could be for lost job or death of a loved one or, you know, cancer or uh, MS or another autoimmune disease. I don't think one person would be left in that room. There someone it is. Would, there it is. Someone would have to go to some support group. So yes. that being said, everyone is dealing with something. And when yes. people said to me, Cheryl, I don't want to complain to you. I mean, geez, you've lost JC and that's the word. And I'm like, well, no, when you own it, it's the worst. So if it's yes. your problem, you know, no, you can't, no one can, can grade, you know, your, your difficulty that you're going through, the life challenge that you're going through. Um, you know, and, and I think that that's when other people can help you but most of all you know your faith and you just have to trust in god you have to amen well you know that's the reason why we um started this podcast was because people were when back in march when this idea first came about we were realizing and we were living ourselves that there were no cheat days from this. There was nowhere to escape. It's not like you could take a three-day weekend from coronavirus. And, you know, there's nowhere to go. It's all over the world. And it is it is going on in every human life. And, and that felt, for some folks who maybe hadn't gone through some of the things yet that, you know, life life dishes a lot to all of us, but maybe they hadn't gone through a loss that, that felt devastating or an autoimmune disease that was overwhelming or, or, a, or a tumor of some sort. So, but now all of us from, from the youngest to the oldest are going through something that really is a trial. It really, it's no joke. And it looks like as we record this now, it's going to rob a lot of us of our Thanksgivings and Christmases. Maybe yep. it is. We're in the, we're in the middle of a surge as we record this, and uh, it was predicted because you know we've returned to school and college and indoors because of the weather. But it but it's a devastating reality. So what we're 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 getting near the time that we're wrapping up now, Cheryl. But I I feel like you could really help a lot of folks, maybe by sharing that. 
one of the reasons why we asked you to be on this podcast is because you you haven't been able to have a cheat day from having a brain tumor. There are no cheat days or vacations from scleroderma. There no. was no vacation. You have had no vacation, not a single day since 2013 of, no. of being in grief. What is the key to practicing endurance when you can't escape what you're going through? You know, there was that, that prayer that you said, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't change. How do you endure some of these things that you can't change? And, and you've already talked about this, you know, in many different words, but I guess I'm wondering as, as we think of the listeners who maybe feel guilty now that they feel so upset about having a hard time with coronavirus or the election that we've gone through. And maybe they say, gosh, I really need to stop feeling sorry for myself. I mean, uh, listen to, listen to what Cheryl's gone through. What would you say is the, is the practice, is the key to practicing endurance when you can't take a vacation from what you're going through? Well, endurance, you know, you have to persevere through life's challenges and just don't give up and appreciate others. You know, again, I just keep saying, you know, keep your faith, your family. Um, but I, I have to say, I've never, going through the, the, the tumors in the past decade of dealing with the brain tumors, this past summer has been the most difficult where I found myself getting more I don't know. I, it might have even been depressed when I was at my worst with my side effects from the chemo and everything. Mm. Um, but I, I think it was more to do with the co- with COVID and dealing with what everyone is dealing with. And I think the problem was my way to deal is usually to keep myself. You have to keep yourself busy. I don't know if that's the healthy way to deal with it, but I would go to class or go have lunch with friends or go and but. I don't drive anymore. I don't have my independence. John is my driver now. <laughs> my mm. husband. Um, and COVID, I can't leave my four walls usually just to go to my doctor's appointments or do blood work because it's just not safe. My immune system is compromised more than ever right now. And I have got to be very safe with, with this coronavirus. But I think most people are dealing with the same thing. And you no, know, my tumors or my grief might enhance it for me, but I think that this is a real thing. The coronavirus has affected everyone, and because it's worldwide, like you said, and we don't have a rule book for it. People are getting creative, you know, but we don't know what we're doing. We've never, we've never had to deal with this before, mm. um, and the unknown is what really kills me it's like you know not knowing and taking day by day you know like well like you mentioned thanksgiving the holidays coming up um holidays to me are about family and loved ones and i've already discussed it with all of my family and i think other people are all facing the same we're all facing the same thing we have to be safe but we're getting we're getting worn out we're getting tired of it but you can't right Uh, and but I think, and I do hope that um, life after coronavirus would would be, we will appreciate others, you know, especially our family and friends that we're not able to see, 
um, especially those with compromised um, health issues and the elderly. Um, you know, it's it's hard. This is a very hard time for everyone. So no, no one. Again, you can't have a scale to rate like whose issues are high are you know more pressing than you know mine's not any more pressing than anyone else's. It's really not. Um, I think actually going through the death of a child and health issues with both John and myself and my parents, I think all of that has made me stronger and I can probably handle dealing with coronavirus better than someone who hasn't had to be dealing with things for a while. Um, so actually I might even have, I might even be a little bit luckier there because mm. <laughs> you know, it's prepared. I've been prepared. Um, I don't know. It's kind of molded me to being because you do when people. I think I was telling you it annoys me sometimes when people tell you tell you how strong you are. But yes, I am strong. But you have to be. I mean, yes. what is my option? There's <laughs> no option, and I th I like I appreciate that that um, what you're saying just resonates so much because of of the person saying it, especially. Um, how do you stay strong? You have to. Um, yeah. we're tired of coronavirus, but you can't be. So right. you, you know, and I just, oh, I, you know, you've given us so much to, uh, to chew on. I, I, what I'd like to do is just give the, uh, the listeners just a moment before we conclude to just kind of savor and treasure some of the things we've heard with just a little bit of quiet. So if you, if you're comfortable, you can, as you listen to this, maybe you want to close your eyes or just take a deep breath. And as long as you're not driving. And just take a second to center on what it is that Cheryl said that you needed to hear today. Was it the question about, since we're all dying, are we living? Can we ask ourselves, are we living? When, when Cheryl said that she doesn't want to heal from the loss of her beloved son, JC. How does that connect with your heart? What are some, some losses or some heartbreaks that you don't really wish to recover from? How, how does that intersect with Jesus saying, blessed are those who mourn? What are you thinking about Cheryl telling us that she knows for sure that God is more powerful than her fear or her anger. Or that she wants to shape her pain and despair into hope. Maybe we can just all take a second whenever you're listening to this. And since Cheryl has said she will gratefully receive prayers from anyone who offers them, let's just take a moment and pray for Cheryl. Send your prayers directly to her whenever you listen to this. Pray for her doctors and nurses. Pray for John and Gary Ann. Send your prayers directly to her. Cheryl, in the midst of such a challenging time for us all, you have spoken to us hope and resilience, and we are so grateful. Thank you for taking this time to be with us. Oh, thank you so much. And I appreciate 
you, Father Scott, you've helped me tremendously. Oh, that means so much to me. And may, let's pray that God uses this, the time that we've spent together to help all the people that are listening to face their own griefs and challenges. So we, we send you love, all of you out there listening, and may God bless each one of you now and always.